All right, so this morning we are turning to Daniel chapter 9. Still working my way through Daniel. Actually, I've been through Daniel, going through again. Um, but I got intrigued with, and I, I can't remember if I've ever spoken out of this chapter in the specific way that I want to today. Um, so this will be a first for all of us. So Daniel chapter 9. Um, so I've entitled this Daniel, a model for prayer. Daniel, a model for prayer. It is, in, it is interesting because there's at least three times in the book of Daniel where it, it focuses on his prayer life and his prayers and how he relied upon prayer to communicate with God and to get uh, oh closer to God, I guess we could say, but also to, to have the hand of God move and act in particular circumstances that he felt God needed to intervene. So prayer, I don't know how, how prayer is for you, but prayer has always been a challenge for me. Not that I don't pray and haven't prayed and always pray, but, you know, it says that Daniel prayed three times a day. Now, I'm sure in the position that he was in, he had the time to just break free from whatever he was doing, go to the window, face Jerusalem, and pray three times a day. You know, I, I, you know, I pray all the time throughout the day, uh, in time past, I've had, you know, times dedicated to prayer, but I felt, for me anyway, they became very rote. I had a prayer list, you know, I prayed for people, you know, circumstances, situations, that I, and I believe it was, you know, valuable and important to do, and I mean, it got so special, you know, that early on, it was like an hour and a half to get me through this list, and, you know, it became a weight rather than a blessing, not God's fault not necessarily my fault, but, you know, this thing of praying, what do you pray? How do you pray? You know, what do, I, wouldn't you love to just be there while Daniel was, you know, window open facing Jerusalem to hear what he prayed three times a day? Did he pray specific prayers? Did he pray rote prayers? Um, what kind of prayer was it? I've always struggled with rote prayers or prayers written out. Uh, don't know why. You know, to me, I figure I got saved, I was born again, I can talk to God just any old time I want, you know, and, and he's not necessarily waiting for me to offer up some formula prayer. And so I've always, I've tried to pray spontaneously. However, like I said in the morning, I have my half a dozen three-by-five cards, and, and I have certain biblical prayers, prayers that were offered in the Bible, primarily out of the Psalms, that I pray every morning because they're specifically meaningful to me. And maybe that's sort of what Daniel did. You know, maybe he had some specific things that he wanted to pray about or were written out or, you know, very focused. I, the hardest thing for me for prayer is I'll start out praying about something and my mind's over here, over there. It goes off in outer space and place to where I finally forget where I started. You know, I don't know if you've had that. I mean, honestly, it's just like, where'd my mind just go? Um, and I can remember George Mueller talking about in his autobiography how, you know, when he'd get up 4 o'clock in the morning, he'd dunk his head in the bucket of water to try to wake himself up, and he'd start to pray, and the next thing he knew, he's waking up from prayer. So he decided probably what he should do is read his Bible first 
and then enter into prayer, and that kept him awake. And then there were times where he'd, he'd walk uh, reading his Bible or praying. And, and for me personally, this is all, I didn't know I was going to say any of this, but for me personally, I, I pray the best if I'm moving. I cannot be still. If I'm going to be on my knees, still, my mind, then I find my mind wanders. But if I pray while I'm walking down, up and down the driveway or on the road in front of the house, I mean, I probably shouldn't share this, but there's times when I'd wake up early in the morning, 2, 3 o'clock, and just have this desire to pray. And you go outside, and, and especially if it's a clear night with all the stars, it's absolutely beautiful. And so, I mean, we live on somewhat of a busy street. My wife's already yelled at me for this. But I'd go out in front of the road, in the road in front of the house, and just lay on the road and look up to the stars and just pray and just have, you know, impromptu times of communication with God. It's just been awesome. So anyway, you know, this thing of prayer, we're told in James that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know how much my prayers have availed, you know. I mean, I prayed for so many unsafe family members over the years to get saved, and as far as I know, they died and went to hell. You know, I mean, that's not on me, but, you know, how do you move God? You know, how do you, how do you come into the presence of God Almighty and actually lay something before His feet? And from my perspective, He's going to take it serious and say, oh yeah, I'll get right on that, you know? I don't know how this works, but yet we are instructed to pray. And God wants us to pray to him as our Heavenly Father as much as any father wants communication with his child. And so, you know, and the thought that we can come boldly into the presence of God and lay our petitions before him is just staggering. You know, every time I talk about prayer, I... I, I talk about the one pastor that I was very close to, you know, we were talking about prayer, and uh, he said, you actually believe that when you pray, you're coming into the presence of God? And, you know, I shared this almost mockingly, and, you know, here's this guy that has a doctorate degree, been in the ministry longer than I was old, and saying, you really actually believe that when you pray, you're coming before the throne of God? You know, and embarrassingly, I want to say, well, no, I don't really believe that. But the truth was, and I said boldly, yes, I believe I'm coming into the presence of God when I pray. You know, anything wrong with that? Anybody feel anything wrong with that? I mean, to me, that's just normal. So if you're not coming into the presence of God when you pray, what's happening? Where are you? What's going on? If he says come boldly into, anyway. So going through, go, going through Daniel here, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by his prayers. So I want to Look at the one in Daniel, chapter 9. We'll read verses 1 through 21 and uh, give you the introduction. Then I'll give you the outline of how it's going to break down so that you can follow. And, and I'll try to move through this. It's, I don't really have a whole lot to say, but that's always the most um, the times I go the longest. So, so let's read Daniel, chapter 9, starting at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. 
And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments, we have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces, as at this day. To the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God, to walk in his Torah, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy Torah, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the Torah of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us, by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the Torah of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth. For we have obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and hast gotten thee renowned as at this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, According to all thy righteousnesses, righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications. And cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O oh my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses before thy great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do, defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy peoples are called by thy name. 
And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Isn't that just beautiful? You know, I mean, what a heartfelt prayer. And he's not just blaming it on the heathen. He's not blaming it just on everybody else. He includes himself in this. And, you know, I, I, never, I cannot ever imagine a Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or, or a Daniel being sinful. You know, it's like, I wonder what sin Daniel did. You know, don't you want to know? I mean, are they really as human as, as we are? You know, Daniel, can you tell me what thoughts ran through your mind in the last hour? Wouldn't it be incredible to know? You know, when you saw that person, did you really have a bad thought about that person and you just really wanted God to get them, you know? You know, or do you always just think the best thoughts about everything and everybody? And, and, you know, what was he really like? That he had to, felt the need to confess sin. So anyway, so, so, so why did he pray this prayer? Adam Clark in his commentary said, Daniel understood from the prophecies of Jeremiah that the 70 years captivity was now terminating. And so he pours out his soul in fervent prayer to God and earnestly supplicates pardon and restoration for his captive people. So he's, he's understood that the 70 years are coming to an end. It's like, okay, God, what's next? How do we move forward? And so, so D- Daniel kind of takes this personally upon himself and, 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 and decides to beseech God uh, on, on his behalf, the behalf of the people, and intercede and, and to, to come to an understanding and, and kind of wrap his brain around what has happened, why it has happened, what we need to do to be able to move forward. So he comes to God in prayer and he encapsulates everything and asks God for some kind of direction and instruction and, you know, to be able to sense, yes, God, you really have forgiven us. And you are drawing near to us. And the time truly is coming to an end. And it's going to be a fresh start. How do we move forward, God? So I've broken this down into three things. First off, the plan. His plan for, uh, or preparation for communicating with God. That's verse 3. Second of all, he addresses the problem. It's twofold. They rebelled. God judged. And then third, the proposal to God what he, he really wants God to do. So we have the plan or the preparation for communicating with God, verse 3. The problem twofold, verses 4 through 15, they rebelled, God judged, and then the proposal to God, verses 16 through 19, and then we'll, we'll conclude with some thoughts. So the plan or the preparation for communicating with God, that's in verse 3. Says, and I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I just got thinking about that. It's like, well, he put a, he put some thought into this. He's he's coming to present himself before God, and it's just not a willy nilly happenstance. And you know, he's driving around in his chair and says, "Oh yeah, by the way, God, oh, you know, no." He's he's put some thought. He's planned for this. There's some preparation. 
So what I saw in this verse was his first, his determination, his desire, and then his death to self. And, I, and, I, I, and I, honestly, if you think about it, to, to have an effectual fervent prayer, there needs to be some determination, there needs to be some desire, and ultimately the goal, end of prayer, is to put ourself to death, to kind of lay us on the altar before God and say, God, I've taken the steps, I'm here, I, I, I want to present this to you. And in the process, and this is what happens with Daniel, he really, he dies to self. And, and I think sometimes that's why prayer is difficult, because prayer is really about setting ourself aside, coming and laying it all open and bare and naked before God. Because if you truly enter into prayer, you, you, know, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. It's not like, you know, when you're talking to your parents and you're telling them one thing, but you know you're lying, but they don't know they're lying, but I know that I'm lying, and they're never going to figure out I'm lying, so I can just shoot them a line of bull and I'll get by, right? You can't, you can't present a line of bull before God and get by. You just can't. You can't snow God. And I caught myself, you know, not intentionally trying to do that, but kind of praying this, this prayer, when, and all of a sudden I wake out of my stupor and it's like, who do I, who am I kidding here? You know, and then it just breaks you down to that other layer of exposure of self to God to where you have to realize he's already known it past. He's there present and he knows future. I mean, there's, there's, so why not come clean, right? <laughs> just come clean. You're not going to get anywhere before you just say, all right, God, here it is. I'm, I'm, I've ripped all the layers back. Okay, now we can get down to business. And this is what's going on with Daniel. So his, his determination, it comes forth to me where it says that he set his face. I love it. And I set my face unto the Lord God. That's his determination. He, he recognizes that he's coming into the presence of Almighty God. So he's getting set for it. And it made me think of a, a couple uh, passages where it has this idea of set. And I'll just have you turn. Turn, if you, if you want to, to Isaiah chapter 50. I just want you to see the, this idea of determination, that when we come into the presence of God, we need to have this set determination. Isaiah 50, and this is a messianic section, and and because I'm going to make a connection of, so that you can at least visualize, all right, I'm coming to prayer, and I set my face, this determination, what's it really kind of look like? I always need to be able to connect to something so that I can visualize in my mind so that then I can take action. So Isaiah 50, and I don't want to get into this, but it's just a messianic passage, and you'll recognize it. Uh, Isaiah 50, uh, verse 6, well, verse 5. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away my back. And then, now you'll see the messianic part. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Here it is. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Now, to me, there's the New Testament parallel, and that's in Luke chapter 9. So if you want to turn there. So we have in Isaiah, you know, a messianic picture of, of what the Messiah is going to do. And we have it lived out, at least in part here, in Luke chapter 9. And, and I'll just uh, give you the verse. Luke 9, 51. 
It says, and it's talking about Yeshua. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, to me, that's the connection in Isaiah to this Messianic passage. And so there's Messianic overtones. And so he didn't just, you know, in Luke chapter 9, it's like, oh, oh he's thinking, yeah, I better set my face. This goes back to, to Isaiah 50, where it talks about the setting of the will, this determination, this purpose. And so when it's time that he knows he's going to be delivered up, it's like it, it changes into a different gear. You know, it's like, all right, you know, because I've, have you ever thought, you know, I got to not get lost here, but when Yeshua was growing up, you know, so he's age five, you know what, I'm going to be dying at 33. Now that's a little ways off. You know, I can enjoy life. But, you know, it's, it's, it's that encroaching as a time moves forward to where, yes, it's going to be happening. You know, you have that meeting with that person. Well, that's, that's you know, and it may or may not be pleasant. That's, you know, five days away. Cool, I can relax. But as you get closer and closer and closer, then you realize, you know what? Wow, I meet with that person in an hour. Something happens inside where everything kind of coalesces. Your mind gets clear, hopefully, and, and it goes into a different dimension or a different gear because you're going to be meeting. And, and I think this is kind of what happened with Yeshua. And, and, and this is kind of like when we enter into prayer, what it's like. You know, you're casually going through life, but now, yeah, you know what? If you have prayer time, prayer time, you know, I'll be meeting with God probably, for me, it's like, you know, 3.45, 4 o'clock. You know, your mind starts setting in gear. So there's this determination. Well, all that to say, I think that's what's going on with Daniel. When he comes to the point where he realizes something's going to be happening, I need some understanding, I need to get serious with God, he sets his face, he's determined. Now, that's the second thing, leads us to the second thing, and that's the desire. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek, to seek by prayer and supplication. So he has a determination. He's getting it ready. Now he has this desire, and he's going to seek by prayer and supplication. There's so many verses I thought about bringing up a few, but I'm not going to. But, you know, one is, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my... I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee. Lord, the humble shall hear the... And goes on. And it talks about, and I, about seeking the Lord. We're told if we seek the Lord, he will be found by us. I always think of, you know, Daniel. He's in the store with me, in, in, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, drugstore, the pharmacy store thing, whatever, CVS. And Judy was in, in Shaw's, and, and I took Daniel with me, and we're walking around, and I totally forgot that Daniel was there. And walked off, <laughs> you know, and get back there in the store. Drew says, where's Daniel? <laughs> where's Daniel? So I, you know, because he was just young. I run back there and, and I'm seeking him. And he's also seeking me. He said he was walking up and down the aisles trying to find me. And then every aisle, I wasn't there. And finally, we found each other. Well, that's the desire that proceeds from the determination to pray. 
you know, they come to that point where you have to talk to God. Now, I don't have those moments all the time, but I'm telling you, those are the sweetest times when you know that something is happening in the God of eternity and you and earth, there's this pull that is happening to communicate. So you seek him. And it's not just, you know, dear God, bless while we have service today. Thank you that we can be here. No, it enters into the realm of it's getting down to where there has to be communication. Nothing less than contact, first contact, will, will do. And this is what's going on with Daniel. So he has a determination. He has a desire to seek God by prayer and supplication. But then it goes on and says, and I've not done this. Really, I wish, you know, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes, death to self. I mean, can you imagine? I've, I've not done that. I, have I fasted? You know, begrudgingly I have on the Day of Atonement here and there. You know, the last thing I really, on my mind is seeking God in prayer. The, the first thing on my mind is I have this terrible caffeine headache that I'm going through. I'm unhappy and mad that I can't eat all day long. I feel miserable. The last thing I want to do is seek after God because my whole spirit stinks, quite frankly. <sighs> so to come to the place where you seek God by prayer and supplication with fasting, then on top of that, you're going to put on you know, this burlap bag that grain feed comes in. Right? I mean, I, I grew up on a farm, and we had to feed for the turkeys, and, you know, it came in this burlap bag. That's sackcloth. The last thing I want to do is, you know, empty that and throw that on top of me, and I mean, underneath me, and maybe have something over that to where every time I move, it's like it chafes. And then throw ashes on top of yourself? You know, I, I, w I would love to see what that looks like. I, I really would. But can you see how there's the elevation of self just gets less and less and less and less and less and less to where you're not feeding your flesh. You don't even give it food. You're making yourself totally uncomfortable and you look like you're a crazy madman throwing ashes on you. But I don't know. Maybe it takes that degree of self-humiliation and death to self before we really can enter into a true communication. So have you ever really felt, and I have, minus the, the fasting sackcloth and ashes, you know, you knew you, that you were communicating. You knew that the plane that's flying in the sky that has that fuel thing to where the jet's going to come and it has to just line up personally perfectly to have connection. And so the mothership and the little ship are connected, and there's tr this transference of communication going on. Have you ever had that? I've had it. Far and few between. I have had it laying on the road, as a matter of fact, to where you just know that somehow that veil has been peeled away. This is what Daniel experienced. But it comes through determination, desire, and death to self. Now, that gets us to the problem that Daniel enumerates. And that's verses 4 through 15. And basically the problem is twofold. The people rebelled, God judged. And that's basically how it always goes. The 
People rebel, God judge. People rebel, God judge. You, you obey, God blesses. You know, but there's a whole lot more rebel, judge than there is obey and bless with God's people. It's just the way it is. And so there's a, an inordinate amount of time spent here on the problem. Now, I've broken the problem down to this way, from the perspective of the people and from the perspective of God. From the perspective of the people is verses 4 through 11. From the perspective of God is verses 12 through 15. So the problem, 4 through 11, the judging, 12 through 15. So I've tried to figure out how we can do this without necessarily having to reread everything. But the problem is the people rebelled. So I have two things. The reason why they rebelled and the result. All right, so they rebelled. Why did they rebel? What, what's the reason? What enabled this rebellion to excel beyond normal rebellion? If there is such a thing. Well, I think we see that in verse 11. It says, Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy Torah even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the Torah of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Well, why did they rebel? Well, they departed. They rejected the Torah. And any time you start to piecemeal, pick and choose, smorgasbord, what parts, you know, you're going to kind of try to live out and the others, well, they're irrelevant, can't, we don't need know how. Whenever you start piecemealing your obedience in relation to the full revelation of God's word as Torah, you are step by step, increment by increment, by default, leading yourself down a path of rebellion. It might not start out that way, but if it continues, you will end up in full-blown rebellion against God. How could David, a man after God's own heart, end up doing what he did with Bathsheba, sending Uriah to his death and lie about it? Well, how did that start? Well, yes, he saw, he looked, he gazed, but it started with the choice before that to disobey the Torah. I mean, you don't think of it that way, but every snowball sin starts with when we say no to his word. That's <laughs> just how it is. And it's a slippery slope. Well, the, the reason they, they rebelled was they rejected the Torah. Rejecting the Torah always leads to rebellion. Whenever you start saying no to the revealed will of God in his word, Left unchecked, it's going to end up just like it did with these people. And, and this is just me speaking, but perhaps we're still in the dispersion all these years because we're not willing to deal with our own personal disobedience to the Torah of God. And that's why in my blog, you know, the expectation of the bridegroom coming for the bride is get your act cleaned up. It just is. Now, the result, <clears throat> this, is, this is pretty cool. Well, not cool, but it says in verse 7, and it says in verse 8, and I'll just give you a phrase, you can find it, confusion of faces, verse 7, confusion of face. Confusion. This is really, it's not like honest confusion when you're really confused about something. This is confusion meaning shame. 
embarrassment. It's, oh, I did this and I don't want to have to face dad. That kind of confusion of face. You know, the police officer is pulling you over and you're sitting there and you have that I've been caught look. Well, this is what it's talking about. It's the I've been caught look. When we rebel against the Torah and reject the Torah, do you think God's just not going to pull us over by the side of the road to give us a ticket and we're going to have to face him? We're going to have to face him. Why? Because he loves us. Because he can't wait to write out a ticket because Gosstown made more money because that person went a half a mile over the speed limit. God doesn't get a thrill out of that. God pulls us over, gives us a ticket, writes a citation, whatever it is, for our benefit. But you know what? Have, be sure your sin will find out. Have you just, uh, you've sinned and then, because you, we have to confess our sin, we have to come clean. It's that moment in which, you know, you've been certain, you know, I used to know, Dad's coming home, man, I'm going to pretend I'm asleep. You know, it's that moment in time when you know you disobeyed God, to restore that, that nice line of communication, you have to face him, but you've been dodging God all day long. To where you finally, it's like, I can't, it's, we got to take care of this. And you come before God, and it's confusion of face, shamefacedness. Interesting. Without getting into this, and I found this sort of by accident. I don't know how, how this comes up, but this, there's this term for this. It's nuda pudendis. N-U-D-A, one word, P-U-N-D-E-N-D-I-S. I don't want to get into that, but that pudendus. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I think I have a good idea. Okay. Without getting into it. It refers to naked private parts. That's what's behind this word. In other words, you've been caught with your pants down. I don't know how else to say it. And interestingly, and I didn't know this until looking into this, just have you look at a couple verses. Turn to 1 Samuel 20, 30. You know, because sometimes I think we miss, and I'm no Hebrew scholar, so I didn't find any of this, it's just by stumbling research, okay? Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion? And here's a connection. And unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? Now I'm showing you this because I want you to see the, uh, how graphic Daniel is being in his prayer and how he's coming completely, basically naked before God. Turn to Micah chapter 1, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Matt, just before, so, uh, Micah chapter 1. And let's see, verse 11. Micah 1, 11. Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of Sapphire, having thy shame naked. 
It doesn't say confusion, but that's it. Having thy shame naked. So, so what is happening here is Daniel is saying, God, we cannot hide our shame anymore. You see us naked. And that's what prayer really is. Coming before God, I hate keep it, using this word, but no false barrier that God can't see through, we think. Because to truly come to God in prayer, is, it's just to be stripped naked before Him. Not physically, I mean, but what is really going on, what has really happened, how we're presenting ourselves to Him. We cannot fool him. And, and I'm convinced that our lack of prayer is because once we enter into prayer and, and start down that um, uh, corridor of presenting ourselves to him, the closer we get to him, his light is going to shine more on our dirt. Now, he sees it anyway, but... In our minds, we sort of think if we can just hop on a ship and go to Tarsus, I will get away from God. But you don't. And until we pray like, do I keep saying David and Daniel if I keep reading? Until, I was listening to that guy in Raider, uh, 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 Chuck Missler, I thought, and because I've done this with, I've uh, been in one book, Jeremiah, and I'm uh, in, a, so I keep, he, he talking about uh, 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 Hosea and Gomer, uh, Gomer, but he kept saying Hosea and Homer. <laughs> over and over and over. Hosea and Homer. Homer and Hosea. So if I keep saying some other name other than Daniel. But this is what's going on with Daniel. To be able to pray like Daniel is, is to realize that God's spotlight is on us. And that's why I'm convinced we don't pray. Because we're unwilling to walk down that corridor to where the light gets shine brighter and brighter and shines more and more in our filth. But until we do that, the dispersion is not going to end. The distance that we have between us and God that he wants gone. Your sins have separated between you and your God. So the result was confusion of face. That's the perspective of the people. They rebelled. Why? They rejected Torah. The result? God, man. Confusion of face because we know. God knows. Now, from the perspective of God, that's verses 12 through 15. God judges. And there's, it's, this starts in verse 12 where it says, and he hath confirmed his word. So that's, this is why before that is the perspective of the people. Now with that little pronoun change there, now it's God's perspective. Okay, you have rebelled. This is what's going to have to happen. I have to judge. And what's interesting, it says in verse 12, this is, I use the word cool, I don't mean it that way. But it says, and he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judge us. How? Why? What's God's perspective? By bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. And then if you go to verse 14. So verse 12, God, God brought evil upon them. But notice what it says in verse 14. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us. I mean, it's not like God says, okay, uh, 
enemies of my people go for it and let, let me know how it turns out. It's okay, God is, is choosing the adversaries that are going to be used and, and, and the consequent results of what happens to the people, but God watches over it. You know, it's not like you can tell your child to do something, okay, yeah, Dad, I'm going to do it, and you trust the kid to do it, and well, he doesn't go do it. Well, you find out that your son has been, dis uh, been rebellious and disobeying by sometime, you know what, I think I better sneak up and check up on him. And you go find out, nope, he's not been doing what he's supposed to have been doing. Well, you know, God, he's ever vigilant because he loves us. And he knows once we start to deviate, it's, it's very interesting. If, if, if you're shooting at a point, if that's often a distance, and you want to get there, just being kind of close doesn't get you there. Because as you progress to that point off in the distance, if you're off, the distance between gets larger and larger. And, and God wants to make sure that that distance does not get too far. And so he constantly wants us to get back to him. So if we suffer some consequences of our sin and God decides to act, he makes sure that we don't keep veering off because he wants to draw us back to himself. Now, we have to understand that this is normal. I hate to say this, but this is normal. We are not going to be sinless until we see Yeshua and he gives us a glorified body. We're going to struggle with sin, past sins, present sins, and the sins that we're going to commit. In the future, God takes care of it all in Yeshua. From His end, we're already seated in the heavenlies. He sees us forgiven. It's over and done. But the problem that we have is, I don't know about you, but my mind knows what I did in the past. My mind knows what I've done in the present. And poor mind knows I'm probably going to screw up in the future. <laughs> so, I'm not trying to beat us down with this, with the horrificness of what has happened. It got so bad because God's people at this time would not listen to the prophets. And it's not like God said, oh, oh you didn't obey the first time I told you, whack. I mean, this is going on for years and years, prophet after prophet. The people would not obey to where God had to act. So it doesn't go from zero to 100. So realize we are clothed in humanity. We are going to sin. <sighs> Am I being heretical in saying that? What matters is how we deal with it in Yeshua. And I struggle with this because, you know, I heard this one guy, this is back to when we were raising support to go to New Orleans, so we just had Koya and Luke, just, you know, struggling with sin. And, and I listened to this preacher on the radio and he said, you know, we keep coming to God saying, oh, God, I did it again. You know, I'm, forgive me, God, that sin I did yesterday. I did it again. I didn't want to. I, I, I told you I wouldn't. And, and here I am again. Now, I can't grasp this, but what the guy said is true. God says, what sin? What are you talking about? Because when we confess it to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not like us who keeps past accounts and keeps bringing them up. You know, like we do with our kids. You know what? You didn't obey, you didn't obey. You didn't obey. Look, you have a, oh, no. 
you know, kids will like that. You know, dad says, oh, I don't remember what you did yesterday, but it doesn't work that way. It's cumulative. You know, somehow in God's dealing with us, for those of us that are in Yeshua, it's been done. It's, it's done. In the cross. So I'm not trying to beat us down and make us feel bad, but the truth is, we're going to sin. The reality is, what are you going to do with it? You have to continually, probably day by day, lay your past sins at the foot of the cross over and over and over because they will dog you and Satan is going to make sure he brings that crap up. He's going to break sure he brings up. Why? He wants you to wallow in how bad you are because if we'll do that, really we're seeing how great Satan is and how, how pitiful Jesus Yeshua is, right? I mean, ultimately, he wants to misdirect our focus. And if he can keep us focusing on ourselves, he's got it made. But if we fix our eyes on Yeshua, the author and finisher of our faith, he gets scared. And that's why the moment you start to break away and trust the finished work of Yeshua on the cross, it seems like all hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose. It does. As long as you are misappropriating your focus, Satan just loves it. You're not bothered. Right? We've all experienced God's working and you know he's touched you and you've confessed it and you've got to move forward and you just think the sky's going to part, the sun's going to be clear. Man, I mean, the, the, it's just going to be great. And the next thing you know, boom. It's, 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 it's horrible because all of a sudden it's kind of like, you know, if you if watch like a sci-fi thing, that, that being over there, it's not watching directly, but some <laughs> Satan knows. Satan knows. He has his communication system. Boom. And that's why, well, I'm getting way off track here. All right, so now the proposal. So, so we've looked at two things so far. The plan being that he's determined, he has a desire, he's dying to self. Then he presents the problem. What's the problem? Twofold. The people rebelled, God judged. All right, now, how do we move on? That's the proposal. You know, and he basically, if I can put it this way, proposes. That's, that's really what prayer is. It's, it's putting a proposition before God. You know, it's really that, I was going to say simple, it's not that simple. But that's really, in a nutshell, what it is. You're coming to God putting a proposal before him. God, could you please do this? Here's reasons why. Or more so, God, please don't do that because that's, this is why. <laughs> it's more like, oh, God, please don't do that. I'm sorry. All right, the proposal, verses 16 through 19. All right, first off, verse 16. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, proposal, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins, for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and the people are become a reproach to all that are about us. So, so first off, he says, God, please, don't be mad at me anymore. Please, put us, put away your anger, right? Put away your anger, please. You know, have you ever felt like that? that? That's the hardest thing in coming to prayer. You know, my kids will tell you, coming to dad's not good because he's mad. You know, somehow a messenger could go ahead and say, hey, 
put away your anger first. Then they, they probably would be more apt to approach, but you, you, my kids will tell you. You know, once dad, rawr, you know. Well, God, Dave, David, Daniel is saying, God, please, we deserve it. That's why he goes on in the rest of the verse saying, okay, we deserve it, but could you please, as we come back, yes, you should annihilate us. You should just send down and obliterate us, but please don't. Second proposal, show us your approval. Verse 17, now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplication. Here it is. And cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations in this city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy Great mercy. So, Lord, hear, forgive, hearken. Show us your approval. And that's it. I mean, that's the progression of a really meaningful prayer time. You get yourself set because you're coming into the presence of Almighty God. And you just Diminish yourself to where you now can come and talk to God. And you present the problems. God, this is what I've done. This is what you've had to do. Can we fix it and move on? And then after all of that, you have that wonderful, everything's okay between me and dad time. He's put away his anger, and he's given us that hug and kiss and said, go ahead, move on. It's over and done. Enjoy the rest of the day. Until the next time. No, God doesn't do that. But that's prayer, folks. And until we can start to somehow enter into this, we're just really playing at it, really. And we stay in the conditions that we do, or become, let me say it this way, we do not become more and more like Yeshua as he wants us to because we're just in the way. Because what is lacking is that communication. You know that in any relationship. You know, one thing I can't stand is when Judy and I have had our argument and she's been at fault. (laughs) When we've had an argument. And I'm mad. And it's like, you know what? Fine. And I'm just going to pack up my toys, and I'm not going to come running to you. You're going to come running to me. But I can't stand the separation. I just can't stand it. So you have to work through all that emotion, lay it all to the side, and realize, you know what? It's not worth hindering that connection to the most important person in my life. That's how it has to be with God. 
on the human level, we understand that and we take action to close that gap of communication. How much greater it is with God, but how much greater he wants to close it. But the avenue of that, you have to open up the lines of communication. And Daniel knew that if it was going to have any chance of, of, of panning out productively for the people of God, he wasn't so much worried about, though he was everybody else. Daniel, he realized he had a role in this. His own sins played into the greater picture. And it's like he's saying, until I'm willing to take responsibility for my part of the diaspora, it's not going to work out as God plans. And until we, and this has really been hitting me, you know, I'm mad I'm in the diaspora. I'm mad at everybody else for getting us here. Okay, but we're still here. Why? Because we're all still a mess. And so I need to own up to myself, just like Daniel did. And folks, listen, if Daniel had to, anybody here? Want to say, yeah, I'm like Daniel. I'm on Daniel's level. No. So that's why Daniel prayed. Interesting if we got into the other one, we didn't want to. I mean, we know this in Daniel's prayer right away. You know, was it Gabriel? Who, who's just here? Gabriel. Lately split right there. Later on, Daniel's been praying, fasting. Three weeks, nothing's happening. Well, you find out. Why not? There's this battle going on in heaven, and Michael's been, I think it's Michael, Michael's been uh, stymied at every attempt. And he said, it's taking me three weeks to get here. Isn't that mind-boggling? You know, so we offer up this prayer, and we just think it kind of is like incense just goes into nothingness. Well, if we could probably, if, I, I, we probably can't, but if we could see, if God could just open up and let us see what's going on in that unseen dimension. You know, what if Daniel had quit? You know, three weeks, 21, day 22, I'm done. That's a long time to go without eating and, and, and just really humbling yourself before God. I, you know, three hours without eating is bad. Three days, three weeks. You know, when do you quit? It's so convicting. So anyway. Um, but so, some, so sometimes got lickety-split answers. Sometimes... You're not going to see what's the answer, maybe in your whole life, but I think we have to rest assured that it really has, it's doing something. Do you, do you, I'm just babbling. Do you ever wonder if, if you don't say anything audibly, can God hear? Well, of course you can. But I do sometimes wonder about that. I, we did have a pastor uh, when we were still in school. He, he would say, uh, Dr. Seitler, he, 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 he went around preaching. He's a guy that preached that can God, and everybody went hooping and hollering. Um, he, he, he traveled around because he was, uh, but he, he would say, he, I, this, is, this is a great man of God, very well known, a big deal, but humble. He said he'd just always have his Bible right next to him in the car when he's traveling. And he said sometimes he'd just reach over and touch it and stroke it just because he liked to know it was right there. You know, that stuck with me so. And then he, I don't know if this is where I'm going with all this, but he said, you know, sometimes when I pray, 
I don't say anything all about it. I just pray to God silently because I don't want Satan to know what my plans are. I don't want Satan to know what I'm, what's going to be happening so that he can't interact with it. So I just don't even say a word. Now, I don't know if that's how it works. But that sort of simplicity I love. You know, is the Word of God, your Bible, that precious to you? You know, do you read it? This is God's message to us. You know, so I love that simplicity. And then, are you that simple in prayer? And I am at times, I hate to admit it, but I'll be praying, and even in my verses, because, you know, I'm struggling, and it's the same verses I pray every morning before I read my Bible. Sometimes I don't say it. And I'll tell God, God, I'm not saying it because I don't want him to know about it. Because I don't think Satan can read our minds, but I know, I don't know if he can or not, but I know God can, you know, Hannah prayed and just a lips move, but God knew what was going on. Where am I going? I'm just shooting the breeze here. All right. So anyway, you get the point, I hope. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word. And I mean, just how wonderful it is, I guess. Um, that's, that's even a shallow way to express it. But thank you for your word and, and how you have all the, just the, the things in it that we need. And, and the role models that you've put in it for us. And, and Daniel being one of them. You know, we focus so much about Daniel in the lion's den, but we, we, we don't really focus a whole lot about Daniel on his knees before you. And Father, help us to just realize that we can come boldly into your presence. And yeah, it can be while we're driving a car, walking down the street. And help us avail ourselves of that. And then for those special times when we know we need to just really, in a sense, from our perspective, connect to have those real special times, kind of like what Daniel did here. Just when we were really getting down to business with you. And we're not going to be satisfied. And if it takes three weeks, three months, or however, I'm not going to give up until you communicate your answer. We need that. And I ask that you help us with that. So, Father, we love you and ask these things in our Savior's name.